We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovix. Joining me today is Chris Irons from the Quoth the Raven podcast. This is part two of our interview. And again, we split this up into two because we've recently experienced some censorship issues on YouTube. This part, we get into some ideas about COVID, some more philosophical ideas, and just a general chat about life. If you enjoy it, please let me know. Thank you. Do you have 10 more minutes? Yep. Okay, because I, I just want to talk about the vaccine thing that we were talking about before we got on, and we didn't get a chance to cover. And I know this is not gold or finance related, but we were having a good conversation about it. And I just want to bring it up because I don't do these podcasts often, and I'm not going to be doing one of my own. But I just want to say about the whole vaccine thing, you know, you were talking about you're going to have to cross the border soon. And you're nervous about whether or not you're going to get held up at the border because you're still unvaccinated. And, you know, I was saying to you that, you know, I had to get vaccinated to travel, but I went with the conventional Johnson & Johnson vaccine instead of the mRNA vaccine on purpose, specifically because I didn't really want any anything new going into my body, with the exception of the virus, right, which is already new. I just want to say the evidence that is coming out that there is a heightened risk of myocarditis associated with these vaccines that is not present in a natural COVID infection, right? In other words, above the benchmark, as you would say in, in finance terms, right? Beating the S&P average, these incidences that we're starting to see in vaccinated people. And these ongoing incidents of people tragically having these cardiac incidents the data is starting to, you know, I'm not talking shit. I'm talking about, you know, peer-reviewed studies. Peter McCullough brought up, I, f I forget the citation, but the one peer-reviewed study that has, in fact, come out and shown that males, I think, between 18 and 36 have an increased prevalence of myocarditis, pericarditis in vaccinated people above people that are naturally infected by COVID, I think needs to be paid very close attention to. And I'm sure many of your listeners already are on top of this. I don't want to tell anybody what to do or what not to do. But I, what I would say is if that people are listening and they're skeptics by nature, and we're all kind of on the same page here in terms of limited government and looking out for yourselves, looking out for your families, looking out for your communities, I feel like this stuff needs to be looked at very closely. I'm happy that Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, these guys are back on Twitter. We need to hear from these people. But, you know, I bring it up, obviously, because a couple of days ago, the gentleman on the Buffalo Bills collapsed on the field. And, and I haven't said anything about that having to do with the vaccine or not. He had a cardiac arrest. It's pretty well accepted at this point. You know, some people are arguing this commotio cardis or whatever it's called, where, you know, people that take a chest impact wind up having a cardiac event. Other people have come out and said, you know, this may have had something to do with the vaccine. You have all, you know, McCullough came out yesterday and said all things need to be considered. We can't take anything off the table, which, of course, is the actual scientific way to look at it. Right. Let's start some deductive reasoning here. 
I'm not saying it was because of the vaccine or not because of the vaccine. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. What I am saying, though, is that I think people need to start paying attention very closely to this stuff, because this is another thing, too, that, you know, I think of it from an investing perspective, right? It's like, well, all right, you know, what happens to Moderna if it if we start finding out some things that we don't want to know, right? That's one way to think about it. But the, I also think about it like, you know, as a potential human rights violation, as a potential, you know, there's all different ways to look at it. And I don't want to opine on it too much. I'm not super well-versed in it. But what I would say is, I really feel like we have to keep a very, very, very sharp focus on this. I feel like, you know, because the data that's come out, the peer-reviewed data that that somebody like McCullough cites, and I had Peter McCullough on my podcast a week or two ago, it's all out there, right? Like he's citing stuff from scientific journals. Well, he's the most published doctor in the world in his field, right? Yes, yes. And he cites publicly available information. Like on the podcast I did with him, he talks about, you know, the stuff that you can find on the FAERS system, which is the vaccine adverse events reporting system. And he talks about things that you can find on PubMed. And he talks about peer-reviewed articles that are in scholarly journals, right? So, Tom, these are all things that can be found within the public domain. You know, it shall come as no surprise to your listeners, I'm certain, but I'm going to say it anyways, that that while they're out there in the public domain, they are not reported on by the mainstream media. And not unlike, the reason I'm bringing it up is because, you know, it, it dovetails from the idea of thinking from yourself, thinking for yourself when it comes to investing, right? Like a lot of people are sound money people because they realize we're playing in a system that's unsustainable, right? So whether you duck in and out of the system and you make money, like we're talking about earlier, based on what the Fed does and doesn't do, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, I think we all know that the, that the whole thing isn't sustainable forever. And so, you know, nobody on CNBC is telling us that. That, that would be inconvenient for them to mention on power lunch. That would fuck their day up, right? <laughs> Similarly, nobody is mentioning this stuff when it comes to COVID and it comes to the vaccine. And what do we know already, right? We know that if you questioned the origins of the virus from the get-go, you were labeled a conspiracy theorist, you were labeled a kook, you were labeled insane, you were banned from social media, and it turns out, oh, you were right, okay? Senate reports come out. It's pretty widely accepted at this point that the fucking thing came out of a lab, okay? So check one for conspiracy theory coming to conspiracy fact, <laughs> right? We saw the same thing with the Biden laptop, right? New York Post was got banned off Twitter. They pulled it down off Facebook, the intelligence agencies were telling people to to remove this stuff from the public discourse. I mean, meanwhile, they're out there talking about, you know, Russian election interference. But really, to me, that kind of seems like election interference, removing a massive story about the incoming president's business relationships with China. That's a pretty big deal. Right. So mm -hmm. what we found out then was all those conspiracy theorists that said, oh, it wasn't Russian information. All this stuff looks legit. They're also conspiracy fact. Now, right? Will the gold bugs or conspiracy theorists, will they be proven to be conspiracy fact at some point? Probably. And now all of a sudden we have the vaccine question. It's up in the air now. It's, it's in that gray zone that like the Biden laptop was in a year ago before everybody just, you know, before the main newspapers wrote on page 12. Oh, yeah. By the way, it was real. Mm -hmm. Right. The vaccine question is now in this gray zone. And I would just urge people to try to get both sides of the story 
on that and make up their minds on their own. You know, I, I said the last time I was on with you or two times ago when I was on with you, I said to you, what else are we going to find out was true that we were told was false, you know, about this pandemic, mm-hmm. not just the vaccines, but, you know, what else are we going to find out? Right. I mean, if I had told you two years ago that the NIH funded the EcoHealth Alliance, who was performing gain of function research, which very likely created this thing, and essentially it's a product of the United States, one way or another, partially our money. I mean, if I had told you that two years ago on the onset of this thing, you'd be looking at things a lot differently, right? Like, so what are we going to know two years from now that today? you know, is kind of on the fence. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think it's important. I know it's off topic and I know I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I think it's important enough just to mention. Well, you know, you, you and I were kind of talking about this before we started and you and Dave Collum, who's another awesome previous guest of the show, you guys had the discussion and he was kind of mentioning that we're in this age that I have come to call the age of unaccountability. So there's two pieces to what Colm was saying is that it's almost seems like you can't trust anything now. And, you know, on the other side of not being able to trust all of these different, let's say narratives on the other side of that, there's no accountability for any of it either. And there's zero accountability. And I think that that is starting, whether people are aware of it or not, that's starting to wear on people. That's starting to create distrust in people. Because the money's already been made, right, Tom? Mm Mm-hmm. The check's already been cashed. And that's the, the thing. Been like, cashed, right. For myself, this whole COVID thing, I've stayed, you know, tried to stay away from discussing it. People's choices are what they are. I respect your choice. I respect anybody else's choice because that's your life and everybody's going to do what they think is right for them. Right. And I think that's important. However, having these ideas jam down your throat, as you've said before, it had the same effect on me. And that made me very suspicious. And I don't think that this put anybody in an easy situation. But at the same time, we touched on this earlier about, you know, being able to hopefully hold two ideas in your head, hear the right. the bull case, the bear case, and make up your mind from there. Tom, I was rooting for the vaccines before they mm-hmm. came out. You know, as a matter of fact, if you go back and listen to some of the stuff that I was recording in 2020, everybody was saying it was an 18 to 24 month timeline before we would get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And what I was saying was I thought we would get it in eight to 12 months because the phrase I kept using was we have all the torque of the entire scientific community working on one problem right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I didn't go into it anti-vaxxer. You know, I was never like an anti-vaxxer, you know, with any of it. Like, I, I don't. You know, and if you are, that's fine. I don't care. I'm like you. You know, I just want you to do what you think is best for you and your family, et cetera. With a hands off government type attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't come into it with any preconceived notions about vaccines. Again, I was rooting for a treatment, I was rooting for a vaccine when they happened, when the vaccines finally came out and we started getting the initial, you know, 98, 95% efficacy headlines. I remember them crossing the wires. And breathing this sigh of relief, like, all right, you know, my red flag started to go up when I saw how they were being pushed. That's what was alarming to me. It wasn't, you know, sure, at first, you know, you noticed the mRNA thing. It was enough to put me off of getting the mRNA vaccine. 
eh, I'm not really interested in being the first person to try something. Maybe it's just me. You know, I wasn't interested in getting vaccinated at all. I spoke to my doctor. My doctor is a free thinker and a smart guy. And he said, look, your age, the shape you're in, you don't need it. Go back to daily life. That's what my doctor said. And you know what? That's what I did in April or you know May of 2020. I just said, fuck it. I went back to training jujitsu. I went back to doing all the things I was doing, you know, and I, and I felt comfortable with that. Now, the only reason I wound up getting vaccinated is I had to travel. I had to fly across the country. I wasn't going to drive from Pennsylvania to San Francisco. And so I got it so I could travel fine. But, you know, when I saw how it was being pushed, that's when I started to get alarmed. Okay. The vaccines are here, you know, good. But what else was I reading? I was reading that, you know, natural immunity was more robust than the vaccines. And look, once you got it, right, what were all these other countries doing? They were talking about herd immunity. The natural immunity that you got from having COVID combined with vaccines, you know, would be a way to reach herd immunity. Now, when the CDC started to change definitions on their website of what herd immunity was to remove the idea of natural immunity and say it only comes from vaccination. Well, holy shit. And to keep moving that bar too, right? Holy shit, Tom. That sets off some red flag detectors, right? When I see billboards and the sides of buses painted and endless television commercials to you know, get vaccinated. It's the only way to return to regular life when the idea of natural immunity wasn't even being talked about, wasn't even being talked about, right? That set off some red flags. Okay, this is weird. How come we're not talking about natural immunity too, right? And then on top of that, you can't come back to your job. You can't go out of the house. You can't do this. You can't do that. We should throw the unvaccinated in jail. Sean Penn. Like, I'm going to fucking listen to Sean Penn to make my life decisions. Give me a fucking break. I mean, first off, the gall of these people, right? Who are you? Uh, You're an actor, okay? You've been an actor for 30 years. You're a famous actor. You know, that doesn't give you any type of qualification to opine on anything to anyone, except maybe how to act. You're a good actor. Go teach an acting class. I got to listen to Sean Penn. Say, if you're not vaccinated, you should go to jail. I got to watch airline pilots, okay, who are making personal decisions not to get vaccinated, get fired from their jobs. That's despicable. Mm -hmm. That's disgraceful. Okay, so that stuff put me over the edge. Maybe this isn't about the vaccines. Maybe there's something else going on. And it was only after Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, had run through billions of dollars worth these vaccines. And, oh, all of a sudden, I remember natural immunity came up late last year. Fauci said something. Oh, yeah, natural immunity is good, too. Ah, how come you hadn't said anything about that over the last two years, fuckface? Hasn't changed. <laughs> Seriously, though. Absolutely. Why are you only acknowledging it now? Okay, mm-hmm. so I didn't come into this, Mr. Anti-Vaccine, but the government sure as shit did enough to freak me out about it. And then what are the facts, Tom? The facts are the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was pulled off the market because of blood clots. End of story. 
They pulled it off the market. What did my doctor say to me in April of 2020 when I called him? He said, we just don't have the long-term safety data, so it's not worth it. And what was everybody in the media and on television and all these government organizations, what were they saying? Oh, it's perfectly safe, perfectly safe. And if you question the safety, you're a conspiracy theorist. And what did it turn out to be? Well, it turned out to be a whole lot of groupthink, as McCullough said on my podcast, right? You have one doctor tells the other, tells the other, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. This guy goes on TV, that guy goes on TV, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. Yay this, yay that, yay Johnson & Johnson. Month later, Johnson & Johnson, pull it off the market. Well, those are two completely different scenarios, aren't they, Tom? There's a big difference between take this, it's 100% safe, or even take this or you will lose your fucking job. There's a big difference between that. And by the way, this shouldn't be on the market anymore because of blood clots. Oh, okay. So the same thing that you're pulling off the market now is the thing that you forced on people. Well, that's a little fucked up. So now the question is, as studies start to trickle in about the mRNA vaccines, what are we going to find out? Well, we're already finding out in irrefutable, peer-reviewed documents, studies, that prevalences of myocarditis are higher people that are vaccinated than people that get COVID naturally. Mm -hmm. Well, that should set off an alarm bell, right? McCullough says, hey, they're finding this messenger RNA that's carrying the virus. It's sticking around a little bit longer in people than they thought it would. They're finding it in people's lymph nodes. I asked McCullough, what do you know about that? What does that mean? Well, we don't know because we don't really know anything about it. We don't know yet, right? We don't know what that... Yeah, we don't, we don't know if it's cancerous. We don't know if it's not cancerous. Mm -hmm. We don't really know. Oh, okay. Well, good thing we got a billion people walking around with this shit in them now. And I'm not saying this is a worst case scenario. I'm not Mr. Uh, this is eugenics. All I'm saying is things are not what they seem to be a year ago, two years ago. And then I would, I would just look very carefully and very closely at it, which I'm sure your listeners have already, but I just, I wanted to rant about it over the last couple of days and you are the unfortunate person to interview me first. <laughs> so there it is. Well, you know, I think that brings up a bigger point, Chris, and that's just the, let's say the, the social credibility that the authorities have used up by you know, pushing that narrative so hard. And what is your sense of how people are going to react to the next, you know, big panic moment that the authorities want to push on everybody to really have another, let's say, unified movement against something? I think that that's really going to put a lot of distrust in a lot of people. And that has hurt their credibility. I don't think that that's a good thing to have hurt your own credibility. And I wonder what people's reactions, what the mainstream people's reactions are going to be if and when something like this happens again, whether it be the next war, or financial collapse, whatever it is. What is what has China showed us over the last month or two? China has showed us you can only push the people so far. Mm hmm. Because there's the unfortunate reality that the, the bureaucrats in Beijing are outnumbered like, you know, 30 billion to 
six. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so when people started to protest the lockdowns, what did the government do? They threw their hands up in the air, Tom, and they said, all right, fuck it. Time for the whole country to get COVID. You know, Mm kind of kind of funny. Right. I I read this morning. Seventy percent of Shanghai has COVID right now. Right. Far cry from the COVID zero policy of the last three years. Then you think about the money and the time and the resources. Mm-hmm. You know, If that was the point of the COVID zero policy, if it wasn't just to condition the people to lock down when the government says so. But the people can only take so much, you know, so that there's a line that you can push people to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like Jordan Peterson says, you know, you, you kind of you edge them in in that direction one millimeter at a time. You know, you, you just you abscond with a, a few more civil rights and you take a little bit more liberty each time. But eventually you, you reach a point where the public just says enough. And that's what happened in China. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what it does for credibility. I, I think it damages credibility significantly. I, th- I think that, you know, I think it could wind up doing significant harm because, you know, what's to say that what's to say that we don't have an Ebola outbreak in the country at some point. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying this will happen, but say in 2030, there's an Ebola outbreak and a company comes up with an Ebola vaccine that works and literally will, you know, save everybody. Run the playbook back. People are going to point back to 2020 and say, here's what you told us and here's what happened. Right. So that kind of stuff is, I don't know, you know, that's, we could be paying for it for a while to come. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what point of distrust the government has to hit with people. I mean, I don't think, you know, the people are close to revolting in the U S or anything like that, but I just think it's, it's a very damaging blow for the credibility of government institutions. If, if the data continues to come out and surprise us with these negative surprises instead of positive surprises. Mm -hmm. If we continue to get negative news that we didn't anticipate, it'll be very damaging. And it'll speak to the carelessness and the groupthink of not only the government organizations that took part in this, but also the doctors. And just another, you know, in the financial world, there's all these moments where we have where we're so thankful that we think for ourselves. You know, that's that's what makes a great investor is being a contrarian. You know, it's having the ability to look at both sides of the story and realize when, you know, the herd is on the wrong side. And so that that's what creates like asymmetric opportunities when it comes to investing. You know, you got to take that thought process out and, and apply it to your personal health and your community and your family. And, you know, some a lot of times the herd is right, you know? Mm -hmm. Does everybody, you know, does everybody love having a great holiday season? Yeah. You know, it's great. Everybody gets together. Everybody gives presents. You're with your loved ones. You focus on the things that are important. You know, the nectar of life, the things that people want, the love, the safety, the security, the relationships. So it's okay to like, you know, go with the herd a lot of times, but sometimes you don't want to run with the herd. Sometimes it'll be in your, your family your community's best interest to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And financially, that's that's how you create prosperity. That's why I always liked Chris Martinson's Peak Prosperity. I always liked the name of that website, you know, because that, that's what it's about. It's about it's about finding peak prosperity. 
It's about, mm-hmm. you know, e- even when you're running against the herd. And, you know, I think this, this COVID situation is, will exemplify that again. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's why I love your podcast. You got all these people. Some of them, I think, are wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'm wrong. You know, I'm wrong all the time, dude. You know, but like, I'm not afraid to talk about shit. I'm not afraid to hash it out. I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to have the Socratic dialogue, to ask the questions, to tell you I don't know it. You know, th- there's no part about me that had a second thought to say, oh, I'm thinking about Bitcoin now in a way that I wasn't thinking about it before. When I know your audience, most of your audience hates Bitcoin. And I know a lot of people that follow me hate Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But Whatever, you know, I'm committed to trying to figure out the peak prosperity, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a that's an awesome point, man. I want to be standing when the when the ashes are all around. You know, I want to be the the lone survivor. What's Will Smith in the movie I Am Legend? You know, that that's mm-hmm. what I want to be. I want to be the last fucking guy with my dog and my shotgun there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not interested in what anybody else thinks. And if you if you're afraid to talk about things or say that your opinion may have changed if the facts change or if you learn new things and you're just doing life wrong, you know, growth. I was not to get too philosophical here and I'm going to wrap it up, but growth is what it's all about, man. Mm-hmm. When you are, when you have any kind of relationship, a friendship, you know, a, a family relationship, an intimate relationship, it's all about growing together. Tom, your relationship as a podcaster who I've never met, and me, you know, pacing around my 400 square foot studio apartment right now, we're together here because we want to grow, you know, we want to grow our understanding of best practices of, you know, what's best for us and the people we love. Mm-hmm. That's what life's about, man. It's about growth. Growth comes from dialogue. Growth comes from open discussion. Growth comes from dropping the ego. And so, you know, that's, that's the path to the promised land, brother. We're, hopefully we're all walking it together. Yeah, I love it, Chris. And, and you know, that's actually something that I was thinking as you're talking about that, you know, in, in some ways, I feel like you and I have a responsibility to talk about these ideas, to present these ideas in a fair and balanced way. And, you know, hell, I've been wrong plenty. You just admitted you've been wrong plenty. But, you know, in some way, you and I have a responsibility to talk about these things, to think about these things, to expose our audience to these different ideas. Because as you say, it's it's all about growth. It's all about trying to find that peak prosperity. And as you said, trying to think differently. It's funny you brought that up. I just started reading this book called The Misbehavior of Markets, A Fractal View of Financial Turbulence by Benoit Mandelbrot. Oh, Mandelbrot. Yeah, he was the guy that discovered fractals. Yeah, I just just started reading it, got through maybe the first two chapters here. And they really start the book off by saying about how unique of a thinker he was. Even his his father, I believe, was in in a, a POW camp. And they let them all out. Whoever had let all these POWs out said, oh yeah, go down the road. It won't be a problem. You're free to go. And then they all got mowed down by some artillery fire or something like that. While being the the unique thinker that his father was, he said, well, something doesn't feel right about this. I'm going to go off by myself into the woods and was one of the only people that ended up surviving. Right. You know, crazy example. But again, it's it's not necessarily thinking everybody else is wrong and I'm going to be right just because I'm going against the grain. It's, you know, exploring these different ideas, 
seeing what feels right. And in a lot of ways, trusting your gut. I mean, for myself, I know trust. I know that that trust your intuitions to guide your convictions. Yeah. And for myself, you know, that's taken years to figure out, to understand, you know, what that means, how to trust myself. And the more it goes on, the I think the better you get it, the, the better sense you get it for figuring out where you ought to be in this world. And I'm hopeful that you and I have helped anybody in a, in a small way to be able to do that. Well, I know you've helped me do that, you know, and that's, that's what it's all about. I was just having a talk last night with a friend who is a woman, you know, I can't figure out these guys. Everybody's got a motive. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to figure it out. I just said, just trust your gut. Trust your gut. When the first, you know, there's a great quote Maya Angelou says, when somebody shows you who you are, believe them the first, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time, right? Which is like, if your gut's saying one thing and somebody's showing you a little something, a red flag, you know, don't turn your back to it. You know, be, be grateful that you recognize it. Be grateful that you, you know, that you see it. And that's it, man. Mm -hmm. And it's the first kind of, forging off the path, you know, and I don't know what age it comes. For me, it was like, I remember being 16 or 17 years old and having a discussion with my mother about George W. Bush and just saying, you know, this guy seems like an idiot. And my mom's like, he is an idiot. And I'm like, (laughs) all right, well, how did he get elected president of the United States? Like, isn't that supposed to go to like the smartest person in the world? if you're leader of the free world. And she's like, no, you know, I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that changes some things, you know, then all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, maybe I'm smarter than the president then. And if I'm smarter than the president, who else am I smarter than? Not smarter than everybody. I'm smarter than some people. Are there going to be things that other people know that I don't? Yes. Are there going to be things that I understand that other people won't? Definitely. So that begets the attitude of just being open to everything and trying to, you know, make those decisions on your own. And what, you know, what's best for me isn't going to be best for you. It's not going to be best for other people, right? Which is where the idea of liberty and the idea of freedom plays such importance, you know, because everybody's different. Everybody has different priorities. Everybody has different ways of thinking. Everybody has different things that they want out of life. So you do what's best for you. And, you know, the trick is having that aha moment, you know, when you, when you first nail down something that everybody else couldn't figure out, or you have that, or you eat that first magic mushroom, you know, and like you get some neurons firing in your brain that never fired before. And you say, holy shit, well, I'm capable of looking at this in a totally different way, you know? You start to break down, as Terrence McKenna would say, you start to break down boundaries. You know, like you smoke a joint, you look at your refrigerator completely different than you did five minutes earlier (laughs) before you had smoked the joint. You know, you know, why is that? Because, you know, your mind has broken down some of those boundaries. It's just looking at things in a different way than it was five minutes prior. You eat that magic mushroom, the same thing's going to happen. You're going to start to think like Benoit Mandelbrot and less like, you know, Rochelle Walensky or whatever the CDC woman's name is, right? So you have to explore all of those things. You have to explore your your own consciousness. You have to explore your 
sovereignty over your own mind. You have to explore the idea of ego. You know, all of these things become a collective kind of like cauldron of variables that, you know, will guide you all over the path in terms of, you know, the decision making that you make throughout the course of your life. And the least consequential of those things, and and what I would think the least intrusive and offensive of those things, because, you know, having a bad, you know, magic mushroom trip is sucks pretty bad. You know, it's pretty offensive. It's pretty harsh. It's pretty volatile. The least volatile, the least harsh, the least intrusive of those things should just be having a conversation, right? We got two sober individuals on the phone right now having this podcast, having this conversation. You know, anybody that wants to run from the idea of just a discussion, you know, that's a huge wall already right there. You have to at least be willing to listen and be willing to explore different topics. I couldn't agree more, Chris. And, you know, it's kind of funny as you're bringing up this idea of like, when you smoke a joint, you look at your fridge completely differently. I went to Mexico a couple of weeks ago, let's say a month ago now, and had an awesome time, you know, (laughs) got up to some pretty wicked adventures, rented a motorcycle, ripped through the mountains, you know, had an excellent, excellent trip. And I got back to where I live in Western Canada here. And I was like, you know, I looked at it completely differently. I just thought to myself, like the amount of personal responsibility people take for themselves and their lives in this society is a far cry from what I saw in Mexico. You know, yeah. there's poor people in Mexico. I've been, I've experienced it time after time. I've been there all kinds of times. I've traveled all over the world. I love getting that perspective. And it really kind of checked me because, you know, I haven't basically traveled for two years. That was my first trip in two years. And it's, it's interesting to, you know, get that perspective again of just because the traffic light is red doesn't mean you have to sit there. But Fucking right. Fucking right. Our society deems it completely unacceptable to go through that traffic light. Yet, you know, if you're in Mexico and you take responsibility for yourself and you say, well, things look safe to me, let's go. Did anybody get hurt? Absolutely not. But we're so conditioned to just eat that shitty narrative in the West that is constantly jammed down our throats that nobody takes the time to question. And That's one of the best quotes I've heard in a long time. Just because the traffic light is red doesn't mean you have to sit there. And I'm saying it from a very deep understanding of that and the way that that could be applied a million different ways. But I'm also saying it from the fact that I run red lights all the time. When when I know there's there's no traffic camera, no, I'm not even joking. When I know there's no traffic camera and I'm at a red light and it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm not fucking sitting there. If I can see both ways and I know there's no train, there's no car, there's no truck, there's no 18 wheeler, there's no traffic, there's no pedestrians. I'm through the light, (laughs) you know, like, so I don't know. And again, that doesn't mean that you're irresponsible towards others, towards yourself, anything like that. But it's like, look, the only thing keeping you there is a, a little bit of wavelength of light. Why? And how many more seconds of my life do I have? Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's another rabbit hole we could definitely go down is, is appreciation for life. Right. Let me just say this about your trip to Mexico. I went and saw the movie, the whale last night. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it it is a devastating movie, right? It's a exceptionally dramatic and very, very sad movie. And, you know, I went by myself and 
I sat in the corner of the theater by myself and the theater was packed. And there came a point in the movie, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes into it, where I just said to myself, I have to stop holding back tears. I'm just going to cry mm-hmm. because it's just, it's just brutal. I mean, the movie is devastating. It's just, it's devastating. So the floodgates opened at that point, literally. And I spent the next 45 minutes or next hour just in a crescendo of, of crying by myself in the movie theater all the way up to the very end of the movie, which was like, the, you know, the, the peak sadness and like peak, you know, crying. And so I'm sitting there like basically devastated in the movie theater by myself, just absolutely just a mess. I mean, and I wasn't making any attempt to like wipe my tears or anything. I just decided I'm just going for it. You know, like I don't care. You're, you're uh, going to lead by example. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really. Cause I, I had, I snuck out as soon as the movie ended. I like ran, I ran out of the theater. Like, Can't let anybody see me like this. But what I'll say is when I was walking home, I started to think about all of the important things in my life. Right. As you do, when something like you watch a football player drop on the field and you realize that guy's life just changed forever mm-hmm. at this moment. Right. And, and similar to like, when I watch this movie, you realize, Oh my God, you know, it, it makes you confront the idea of death. It makes you confront all these things that you normally wouldn't think about. And as I'm walking home from the movie, my perspective on, you know, my relationships, the time I spend talking to my family, the time I spend doing the things that I enjoy, my love of being creative, my love of writing, my, you know, all of these things, just thinking about it so profoundly differently than I was when I walked into the theater where my main goal was to get the snack line to move up. Yeah, hurry up. They didn't have enough fucking people working. I needed to get my popcorn. You know, the fucking movie's going to start. Right. Yep. And so, so I leave this like devastated wreck that is just thinking about, you know, all these profound, deep parts of life that I normally wouldn't be thinking of. And, and why is it? Well, it's because, you know, I tapped into a lot of emotions that normally you just don't tap into. Right. And for me, it was what? I don't know. Confrontation of death, loss of family members, all these themes that played out in this sad movie, things that you don't think about when all you're thinking about is getting your popcorn and it just circles back. You know, you go to Mexico and what do you see? Well, it's a reminder that you have a planet of 8 billion people all living their life very, very, very differently. Right. And life doesn't start and stop at the McDonald's drive through in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Right. It's the world is very different for a lot of people, which is Mm -hmm. interestingly, one of the themes that kind of made Bitcoin a little bit more interesting for me. But you think about those things and you think about that perspective and you, know, you think about, all right, like, well, what, what changed after I smoked the joint and I was looking at my refrigerator, right? Well, it's like, all right, my brain is just acting a little bit differently. What changed after I ate the magic mushroom, right? Like, I don't know, there's, there's, there's neurons firing in places where they weren't firing before. So it's when you start to hit those outer limits, you start to hit the fringe as my blog is called fringe finance, right? Because 
it's it's the stuff on the outside, the fringe that is sometimes even inaccessible, barely accessible. The emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, the investing perspectives, the life perspectives, you know, you got to try to get into those things, man. That's what's going to round out a larger picture for you. And hopefully, like I said, lead you down that path to prosperity again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important and it's really humbling to see you know, basically these different perspectives, which I think in the end make me feel, you know, the world is going to carry on with or without you. It yes. doesn't matter. You, in a lot of ways, don't matter. Do your best while you can, treat people nicely. And at the end of the day, realize that whatever you think you have achieved, it doesn't really matter. So no, it does. enjoy it, enjoy it while you can. You know, if you die tomorrow... Or I die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The day after, you're still gonna the McDonald's down the street is still gonna be serving chicken nuggets for nine ninety nine. Yep. You know what I mean? There's still gonna be a lady bitching about sweet and sour sauce. There's still yeah. gonna be the war in Ukraine. There's still gonna be the stock market. There's still gonna be the Fed, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, people die every day, man. I mean, you see obituaries for famous people. Unfortunately, you have people in your life that die. Mm -hmm. And you ever try to confront the idea that like, you know, Oh man, it'll be devastating when I die. No, it won't. You know, people pretty much, you know, you ever just leave a funeral and be like, all right, well, uh, what are we doing tonight? We're going to go out and watch the NFL game. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. life's pretty much just going to keep going. You know? I mean, even over the weekend here, there was a, um, a really prominent action sports personality, Ken Block he died. He was snowmobiling in the mountains. And, you know, just as he's done, I think he's a 55 year old guy. He's gone snowmobiling his whole life. He raced motocross. He raced rally cars. He was like one of the most important figures in action sports. And, you know, just instantly just something happened on a snowmobile and now he's gone. That's it. That touched the entire action sports world. He was one of the guys that created DC shoes. And he's, you know, taken away from his three kids, his wife, his many companies. And it just goes to show you again that unfortunately, this ride does have an end to it. And, you know, as much as we talk about investments and money and hating Bitcoin or loving gold or whatever it is, at the end of the day, that's means to an end. And there's more to life than just that, right? You got to remember why you want that. You got to remember why you want the financial security in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to remember what the point is. The point isn't to get money to make more money and beat the high score. The point is to have security and freedom so that you can pursue the things that make you happy and, you know, help the people that you love. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's it, man. And hopefully meaningful relationships and, and meaningful conversations. Yes. Well, that's it. That, that's the nectar. Like that is the nectar, right? Personal growth, growth within other people, these types of conversations. This is it. Like we're, this is life. We're mm-hmm. doing it right now. Whether I've overdrawn my bank account today or I've got a trillion dollars in the bank, this conversation stays the same, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the idea that, like, for me, 
when all these people started bringing up the vaccine thing right after this guy collapsed on the field, um, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Not, not because I, I think that they're wrong. Same way I didn't like the fact that they were talking about, all right, was this Kamosho Cordis, the other thing or whatever it is. I didn't like that. And it wasn't because I agree or I disagree that that may or may not have been this guy's cause of cardiac arrest. It's because your first thought wasn't immediately to turn around and hug your family Point. or yeah. tell somebody that you love them. You know, that's the first thing. Look, me and my my best friend, we are rabid, rabid NFL fans. We're in pools. We do fantasy. I mean, we are as involved and engrossed as you can get. You know, it's almost all we talk about. We actually had an interest in the Bills winning that game that night. We were watching the game together. We were talking to each other all game, texting each other, you know, talking about every play. And when that happened, you know, we both said the same thing, which is, you know, holy shit, I hope they stop this game. It really puts things into perspective, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's what it's all about, man. Why do you want the billion dollars to begin with? You know, what's the point of, what's the point of drinking Dom Perignon going down a 14 karat gold plated water slide in Dubai at living in the penthouse apartment of the world's most expensive hotel with your pet tiger? If you don't have a best friend to invite or to, you don't have a person in your life that you love and loves you back, what's the mm -hmm. point? There's no point, you know, and, and people will say, oh, you know, once I get some money, uh, I know that won't be true. I'll be I'll be happy. I could be happy with those things. You won't. You won't. <laughs> I've done some pretty cool shit. You know, I'm not rich. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not extremely wealthy. But well, there's a there's a certain level of wealth that does create happiness, right? That just gives you enough security to be able to eat. And exactly. from there, from there, it's really negligible the the amount of difference that it makes. Exactly. If you can pay your bills and you have enough for your family, you know, and you got the house, you got a car, you got what you want, and you're settled in, you know, at that point it becomes all right. Well, what do I got? Fifty million? Okay. Well, what's the difference if I have 50 or 100 million? What's the difference between 100 million and a billion? You know, unless you're a psychopath, nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really, unless you're thinking of, you know, I need to have a super yacht. I need to have 10 mansions. I mean, some people think like that and it's ridiculous. That's that's trying to address some unmet need from their childhood that is manifesting in the form of wanting to, you know, hoard property and material things, which is a totally different. It's a totally different thing. Yeah, um, there's there, there's the idea of the the hedonistic treadmill, right? Where you're constantly right. adapting, constantly exactly. adapting to the new stimulus. Whatever you think, you know, new product is going to bring you happiness. That shit's going to wear off, right? After two weeks, you want the next bigger and better thing because that's how our minds, you know, evolutionarily, I think that's how we're wired. And you know, we have let's say 200 years of having light and electricity that evolutionary wiring doesn't go away overnight. Right. You still have the the desire to to need to be bored because the berry tree that you're picking isn't providing enough fruit. There are evolutionary reasons for things that we do, things the way our minds work. Like I said, the the hedonistic treadmill, you're always going to be constantly searching for more and better, more comfort, 
that's something, another book I recently read that I thought was just awesome was called The Comfort Crisis. And it really put a lot of data behind some of the ways that I think about the world. I go out of my way to make myself really uncomfortable a lot of the time to push my limits to see where I'm at. You know, I ran well while I was in Mexico. I went for a run one morning and I said, well, I'm just going to go. You know, I'm a, I'm a big motorcycle racer. So I said, well, I'm going to run over to where I think this motorcycle track is. So it would, it would have been about, I know it in kilometers, it would have been about 8K each way. So a 16K run, I thought, oh, I'll be able to bang that out, you know, a little less than two hours. I'm just going to go for it. Didn't have any breakfast, had a little bit of water, didn't take any, anything with me except for my phone and a pair of shorts. Well, I ended up running a half marathon in Mexico, fasted with no water, just because yeah. I thought, hell yeah, let's push the limit. If I get into trouble, I know I can stop and get some water, whatever I need to do. But, you know, that that shit's important to understand what you're capable of, what your body's capable of, well, and it, where that it'll can make you. It'll make all the difference in, you know, stressful scenarios. You'll see you know, where you stand compared to other people that don't push those limits. And I'm a huge advocate for being comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is why, you know, I take cold showers and, you know, all day, every day in in the middle of winter, I take cold showers. I mean, it's devastating, especially when I, you know, if I go to Montreal, it's even more devastating. (laughs) If I go to, you know, it's crazy because it'll be like, you know, minus five Fahrenheit, you know, and that's cold water, about as cold as water can get without freezing. I mean, uh, and so it's, you know, people that take ice baths, they do it for that reason, right? They, they do it because they want to wake up their vagus nerve. They want to wake up their nervous system, but like they do it because they want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, because that, you know, look, if, if I go to a jujitsu competition, right. And, and, a, and a guy, you know, has a, has a submission locked in. Right. And, you know, it's 30 seconds before I go out and it's 29 seconds before this guy's muscle cramps and he lets go of the submission, you know, who's who's going to win you know who, who's going to take it to the 30 second mark and, and not the 29 second mark mm-hmm. you know i want to be the guy that takes it to the 30 second mark i want to be the guy that you know that has that conditioning right and it's running is a perfect example you know i went out to do the most i had ever run in my life ever up until two months ago was i think 12 miles or actually i did a half marathon so 13.1 miles and it was pretty devastating on me. Like I run all the time. I've been running since I was 18 You know, I run 30, 35 miles a week, but I just, my body is just not cut out to do more than, you know, 13 miles. Usually I run between seven and 10. I went out to do seven, two months ago. I felt good. And I just said, let's see how far we can take it. You know, I'm not going to go home if I feel comfortable. You know, I want to go home feeling like I worked. Right. And so I ran 15 miles for the first time in my life. I mean, pretty much couldn't move when I got done, but I did it, you know, and now, okay, now I know I can run 15 miles. I had a, I had a moment with one of my trainers once where I was doing box jumps mm-hmm. and, and the box was laying horizontally on the ground. It was the first time I had ever done box jumps. This was my jujitsu and kickboxing coach. So I'm jumping on the box 
you know, I do 15 reps or whatever, and he turns the box vertical. So it's like twice as high as it was before. And I said to him, Jordan, I can't jump on, you know, there's no way I can jump to the fucking top of that box. I just can't do it. And he's like, Chris, he's like, you just got to trust me. I said, a lot of this stuff is mental. I'll never forget. It just, it replays in my mind all the time since then. A lot of this stuff is mental. And I said, all right. And the first jump, I fucking hopped right up on it. I was like, oh, nice. now, I, now I know I can do it. So do I tell myself that all the time? I do. A lot of this stuff's mental, Chris. Am I freezing? Oh, a lot of this stuff is mental. You know, is this guy going to, you know, knock me unconscious? Oh, a lot of this stuff's mental. You know, let's see how far I take it. And let's see how far he takes it. And then when you're standing in line in a Wawa waiting to pay for your coffee in Wincote, which is on the outskirts of Philadelphia. And the guy in line in front of you has had the worst day of his life and decides to flip out on everybody that's standing in line and on the person behind the counter. And he starts screaming and he starts losing his shit and throwing stuff and knocking over things on the counter. And everybody else in the Wawa runs. You just kind of stand there. Like, all right, I can deal with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to happen? This guy's going to take a swing at me. Okay. You know, I'm not moving. I'm enjoying where I'm standing. I'm either going to wait till this guy tires himself out. I'll wait till he attacks somebody physically, at which point I'm going to restrain him or I'll wait till he provokes me. And he didn't do anything. He threw a temper tantrum, threw a bunch of shit and he left, but everybody else ran from the scene. You know, this guy's crazy. Who knows what he'll do? You know, is that always like the best possible scenario, you know, to like stay there? No, but that's the difference. I fly all the time and all the time I think about, you know, one out of every million flights goes down. Right. And I'm so comfortable with flying. I do it all the time, but I always think while I'm in the air, Eh, maybe, (laughs) you know, and then I think about, I think about what would I be like if the plane fell out of the sky? If I watched the wing just fall off the plane, what would I be like? And I just know I would feel very calm because you know, there's nothing you can do. Right. So there's so many situations where panicking makes things worse. If you're in a, if you're in a fight, it hypes your adrenaline up. You dump all your energy. You get nothing done. You get your ass kicked. Been there. Lived it. Done it. Mm-hmm. Go in calm. You Practice have a plan. That. Yeah. You go in calm. You have a plan. Different story. Now you're waiting for the other guy to dump his adrenaline. Right? The plane goes down or the plane hits extreme turbulence. People start freaking out, crying. Maybe they make things worse. Maybe you're going to land safely anyways. But the crying and the freaking out exacerbates the problem. You spill your hot coffee on yourself, give you third degree burns <laughs> instead of, you know, you never know. Yeah. But in situations where you don't have the control, you know, you just got to stay calm and you just have to be prepared. And how does that, how do you get that preparation from experience? You know, when it comes to things like investing, living through enormous market volatility and crazy situations and, you know, losing your whole bankroll, but then, you know, going up, you know, watching your portfolio 10x in one day, these huge swings and everything in between, you know, and in life, like you're saying, well, you do it by pushing your limits, man, Mm -hmm. by making, making yourself uncomfortable because you know, 
that if you're in a room with 10 other people, some kind of hunger game shit. And you know, the, uh, the dark emperor said to you, you got to run a hundred miles or everybody you, you love is going to die or something, or who the last man standing wins here or something. <laughs> Your mindset's going to be a lot different than most other people who are going to quit before they even start. And you're going to be like, yeah, I'll try. I could do it. You know, it's like, yeah, people it's, that it, like, like part of the, the stoic philosophy is to, to practice, practice, let's say poverty or practice being uncomfortable practice, you know, the thought of death, because when somebody does die, then you have basically prepared yourself mentally to understand what you're going to be going through at that point. And I think right. testing yourself and putting yourself in those situations, even something as stupid as, you know, let's say asking for a discount for a coffee, you know, that makes people really uncomfortable to do something yeah. as silly as that. And I think it's a great exercise. How about asking somebody on a date? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's another good example. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Get rejected a hundred times. The hundred and first time you're expecting to get rejected. The woman says, yes. Oh, how'd that happen? That, that you know? sure exceeded my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, I think we've, you know, Speed I think we've solved, solved intellectual enough. bullshit at this point. Yeah. We've solved enough of the world problems for today, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's time for a beer. <laughs> well, I appreciate the chat, Chris. This was, you know, a, a lot different than normal, the stuff we normally talk about, but I think it's important. And I feel very privileged to be able to have these types of conversations with you. I have conversations like this, you know, off air all the time. And I'm in a very privileged position to be able to speak to awesome people like yourself. And I don't take that for granted. Feelings mutual, brother. I'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Take care, man. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.